Jeremiah 46. Jeremiah 46 is where we are this afternoon. We're going to read one verse at the end of the chapter, then we'll come back and look at it. Uh, starting or reading in verse 28, it says, Fear thou not, O Jacob, my servant, saith the Lord, for I am with thee, for I will make a full end of all the nations whither I have driven thee, but I will not make a full end of thee, but correct thee in measure, yet will I not leave thee wholly unpunished. So that gives you a good idea of what the chapter is about. Um, I, I love that verse. I know we'll get to it in a moment, but I just absolutely love that verse and the verbiage and the way that um, God records it for us. To me, there's a lot packed into just that verse, but we're going to have a summary leading up to that uh, um, here as we look at the chapter. God, I pray for your help this, this afternoon, and uh, Lord, we do ask for your help as we look at this chapter, and we've, we've been studying through this book, and we've seen the mistakes and the decisions, the choices that um, your people made and failed and failed and failed. And Lord, we've seen your mercy. We've seen your judgment. Um, Lord, we've seen your love through this, this book. And today I pray that we see those things again and uh, that we can take something from it today and apply it to our lives. And uh, Lord, do better for you this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Start in verse 1, uh, where the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Uh, against the Gentiles. So now we're looking at Egypt. As you remember, the people fled to Egypt. And so uh, this is who he's talking to now, the, the, the words against Egypt. So verse 2, against Egypt and the Pharaoh, the armies of Pharaoh Necho, uh, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates and, uh, I'm sorry, Karchemish, uh, which never... Rezar, king of Babylon, smote in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. It doesn't matter how much I practice this. Um, I'll sit there and read it in my head over and over and over again, and it still doesn't come out right. Order ye, verse 3, the buckler uh, and shield, and draw near to battle. He's basically saying in verse 3, honestly, down through the next couple verses, Egypt, get ready, uh, prepare, do your best. But ultimately, he's going to tell them, it doesn't matter, you're still going to lose. <laughs> but interesting, he still tells them, get ready. Verse 4, harness the horses, uh, get you horsemen, stand forth with your helmets. So he's, he's telling them, armor up, get ready to go, and, uh, and, and, and prepare for war. Verse 5, wherefore have I seen them dismayed and turned away back? And their mighty ones are beaten down and are fled apace, and look not back, for fear was round about, saith the Lord. Let not the swift flee away, nor the mighty men escape. They shall stumble and fall toward the north by the river Euphrates. Who is this that cometh up as a flood, whose waters are moved as rivers? Egypt riseth up like a flood, and his waters are moved like the rivers. And he saith, I will go up and will cover the earth. I will destroy uh, the city and the inhabitants thereof. This is false hope. You can go to Micah and read some of this as well. But uh, uh, just kind of this false hope, this false confidence that they had. Verse 9, come up, you horses, and rage, you chariots, and let mighty men come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans, their, their allies, uh, that, handle the, the, that handle the shield, and the Lydians that handle and bend the bow. He's, he's calling them forth. Uh, go ahead, get your army ready, prepare, because war's coming. <clears throat> but he says in verse 10, in the first sentence here, verse 10, 
For this is the day of the Lord of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries. And the sword shall devour, and it shall be satiate, and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord of hosts hath a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. The same terminology that he says, this is Egypt coming up, he uses for uh, the destruction that will be at the same place where they're headed. Uh, the place where they're going, it's not going to be good. God, God's going to win. Um, <clears throat> verse 11, go up into Gilead and take balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt. In vain shalt thou use many medicines, for thou shalt not be cured. Uh, the nations have heard of thy shame, and thy cry hath filled the land. For the mighty man that has, uh, hath stumbled against the mighty, and they are fallen both together. Great defeat. Um, massive fighting, massive war, large armies, yet God wins, they lose, and it's really that simple. Then we see here in verse 13, the word of the Lord that spake to Jeremiah the prophet, how Nebuchadrezzar, a king of Babylon, should come and smite the land of Egypt. So now the message is, here's who's coming, here's what's going to happen. Verse 14, declare ye in Egypt, and publish in Migdal, and publish in Noph, and in Tephanes, Say ye, stand fast and prepare thee, for the sword shall devour round about thee. It's raining. Uh, sound the alarm, is what he's saying. Ring the bell, uh, let them know the British are coming. Of course, not the British, but uh, nonetheless, <clears throat> here they are. Then in verse 15, we see some retreat. Uh, why are thy valiant men swept away? They stood not, because the Lord did drive them. He made many to fall, yea, one fell upon another, and they said, Arise, and let us go into our own people." and to the land of our nativity from the oppressing sword. They did cry there, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is but a noise. He hath passed the time appointed. They kind of then turned against their leadership. They weren't protecting them anymore. They were losing the war. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 18, As I live, saith the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, surely as Tabor is among the mountains, and as Carmel uh, by the sea, so shall he come. Um, that kind of ties into verse, 19, verse 22. We'll get there in a second. Uh, o thou daughter dwelling in Egypt, furnish thyself to go into captivity, for Noph shall be waste and desolate without an inhabitant. Egypt is like a very fair heifer, but destruction cometh, it cometh out of the north. It's a very fair heifer. It's a, it's a cow that's not had to work. It's the one that's not used to hardships, uh, been treated well, basically like a pet cow, you know. Uh, you've got the cows that you're raising to slaughter, and then you've got the other cows that you name and you pet and you feed by hand and you take special care of and those kinds of things. That's what we're talking about with the fair heifer. It's the one that had been more like a pet than a work animal and not used to any kinds of hardships whatsoever. And then it says in verse 21, also her hired men are in the midst of her like fatted bullocks, for they also are turned back and are fled away together. They did not stand because the day of their calamity was come upon them and the time of their visitation. The voice thereof shall go like a serpent, for they shall march with an army and come against her with axes as hewers of wood. They shall cut down her uh, forest, saith the Lord, though it cannot be searched because they are more than the grasshoppers and are innumerable. The daughters of Egypt, or excuse me, the daughter of Egypt, shall be confounded. She shall be delivered into the hand of the people of the north. The idea there of confounded is, is 
has the same terminology in the original language as being tamed. So you've got an animal that is wild and on its own, and it kind of lives its way, and now being confounded is, is almost the sense of just um, submitted, um, humiliated, and tamed now for certain things. If you go to the zoo, and I don't want to get into uh, arguing about the zoo, but if you go to the zoo, there are certain animals that just don't look happy, right? They're in captivity. They're not, they're not wild and free. And that's the same idea that is, that is given here uh, of what's going to happen. There is going to be this, um, uh, this uh, invasion and captivity that's going to happen. Uh, verse 25, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saith, Behold, I will punish the multitude of No and Pharaoh and Egypt and uh, they, with their gods and their kings, even Pharaoh and all them that trust in him. So I'm going to take care of Pharaoh and everyone that has their faith and confidence in Pharaoh. They're going to be destroyed. Again, I mean, we're going to see this, I think, in just a second. But um, yeah, we will at the end. But uh, the idea is, is where is your faith? Is your faith in your leadership or is your faith in God? And those that are going to trust in leadership, they're going to fall with leadership. But those that trust in God will stand. Uh, verse 26, And I will deliver them into the hand of those that seek their lives, and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of his servants. And afterward it shall be inhabited, as in the days of old, saith the Lord. It has this, again, the picture of something being emptied and then refilled. I'm going to empty it out, um, clean it up, and refill it. And uh, that's a similar picture here that's given to us in verse 26. Verse 27, But fear not thou, O my servant Jacob, and be not dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save thee from afar off, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and be in rest, and at ease, and none shall make him afraid. This is a comfort uh, a, a, a verse, a comforting verse of a reminder, okay, he's talking about Pharaoh, he's talking about Egypt and what he's going to do, and again, at the end of the day, those who stand with Pharaoh, they're going to be destroyed, those who trust in God, there's going to be restoration, there's going to be forgiveness, there's going to be peace that finally comes after years of non-peace. And verse 28, then, what we read at the beginning of the, the, the afternoon here, fear thou not, O Jacob, my servant, saith the Lord, for I am with thee, again, a reminder, God doesn't leave. God doesn't forsake. We leave. We forsake. God is with us. And he waits for us to return, but he's not afar off. He's right there. And so he says uh, there in this verse, I am with thee. Um, oh, I'm in the wrong verse. There we go. Uh, for I will make a full end of all the nations whither I have driven thee, Egypt, Babylon, all those places, but I will not make a full end of thee, but correct thee in measure, yet will I not leave thee wholly unpunished. So, again, we've talked about this. This is the same thing that's happened all throughout this situation and the captivity and all those sorts of things. Because God loves, he punishes. Because he loves, he chastens. A parent who loves their child must discipline their child, or their child will just be an absolute booger for the rest of their life. 
and they're going to have they're not going to be able to get jobs. They're not going to be able to hold jobs. They're not going to be able to. Was that not a Greek term? Uh, they're not going to be able to any of these things, right? The, if you don't discipline your child, your child's going to have more hardship uh, throughout life than if you do discipline your child and train them up in the way they should go, so that when they're old, they're not depart from it. Um, if you you have all these parents who say, "Well, I'm I'm not going to do that to my kid because I love my kid," because assuming then that their parents didn't love them because they did punish them. You know, what you're doing is you're ruining your child. You're, first of all, you're ruining, you're ruining life for everybody that's going to be around your kid for the rest of their lives. Uh, but you're also ruining your child's life. And that child's going to grow up, but they're going to be rebellious, and they're going to be late, and they're going to be uh, uh, undependable, and they're going to be all these things because you didn't take the time when you were supposed to, when you were biblically... Uh, put in a position to take care of and to train your children. You didn't do it. And then your children grow up and they're just, just absolute disasters. Now, when you talk about sin, remember, uh, the soul of sin is it shall die. The, the, the person's responsible for their sin. But as a parent, you're responsible to train your children, uh, to help them, to, to correct them. That's what punishment is supposed to be. It's correcting so if something's wrong, we correct it and we get it right. So God says, I'm not going to leave you wholly unpunished. You're going to have to suffer for your sin. You're going to have to uh, be disciplined because of your sin. But, he says, I am with thee and I will make a full end of all the, those that are against us. Uh, the, the, the Egypt and Babylon and all the others that are coming against us. I'll, I'll take care of them. And he said, you... I'm not going to make a full end of you, but I am going to correct thee in measure where it's needed, and I'll not leave thee wholly unpunished. I, I, it's like when your dad sits you down. I don't know what your bringing up was like, but for me, it was like dad sitting me down because I knew I was in trouble. I knew I did something. I knew what it was, whatever it was. Like I, dad sits me down and he starts talking to me, and, and I begin to think, hey, I think I'm going to get by without getting punished. All right, have you been there? Dad's sitting there talking to me, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to get spanked. And that's all I can think about. I'm not hearing a single word that he's saying. All I can think about in my mind is, huh, I'm not going to get spanked. And then he gets to the end, and he goes, well, we've got to do something. What do you mean? Instead of 10, we're getting 5. <laughs> Instead of 100, we're getting 50. Whatever it is, they're still, you are like, ah. Oh, Man, I really thought I was getting by with it. My, my parents didn't ground us. I remember once, maybe twice in my life, that it was like, okay, I, I was given the option once. We can spank and be over with it in five minutes. I've given my kids this option before. We can spank and be over with it in five minutes, or, um, you know, you can't go outside and play for the rest of the day, which, you know, back then was a big deal. Today, part of the punishment is you have to go outside and play. But, uh, uh, <laughs> Back then, we wanted to be outside. Then the friends were outside, all that kind of stuff. So uh, either we can spank now and be done with it, or for the rest of the day or for the rest of the week or whatever it was, basically grounded. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was still hated pain, so I was like, I'll take the whole day um, and sit here in my room. But, uh, it's again, it's the reminder that the punishment still has to be there. God doesn't take sin. When you look at the grand scheme of things, right, Christ dying for our sins, taking the ultimate punishment, at the end of the day, we've got it great. But 
that doesn't mean that we get to skate by with no, no discipline. If we're saved, we don't have to suffer the eternal consequence. But we still have to suffer, uh, we still have to deal with the sin that's in our lives. And, and although God will not make a full end of us, he will uh, discipline by measure, uh, correct the end measure, as it says here, and, uh, and not leave us wholly unpunished. So if you're a Christian and you think, hey, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I can do whatever I want. I question if you're saved, honestly. And again, that's between you and God, I, I don't know. But I do, I question it. I've met people like that. Well, I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want. Okay. Um, see how that goes. There's consequences. There are. And whether you are saved and, and so you still don't have the eternal consequences of hell, you're still going to suffer so much for choosing sin over obedience. And again, this passage and what it's being talked about here, it's being talked specifically about God's children and Egypt and Babylon and things like that. But don't think that it doesn't apply to us today. This is an example for us of how God deals with sin and how God protects his people. So you can look at the positive and go, hey, there's some comfort in this, this chapter. He hasn't left me. He's not going to make a full end of me. And then learn from it and say, he is going to correct me, and I need to get right. There's so much we can learn. And I, you know, don't ever just take it. We have to know the context of the scriptures. Have to. But understand and ask God, what can I have out of this passage? What can I learn? What can I apply to my life? And for me, it's just a beautiful example of how God protects and provides and punishes his people. Um, so apply that to your life. Don't, don't waste any more time living selfishly, pridefully, um, worldly. Uh, go ahead and make the decision now. You know, I'm going to live the way God wants me to live and, and do what God wants me to do. Lord, help us, I do pray. And we're so thankful for your patience with us. Um, Lord, we're so thankful that your, for your love for us and how you do care for us and provide for us and protect us. And uh, the fact that you never leave or forsake. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to draw close uh, to you. And uh, Lord, help us in our prayer life. Help us in our Bible reading. Help us in our church attendance. Help us in our faithfulness just to obey you. And Lord, may we have more time celebrating your provision and your peace than we do having to look at the discipline that we had to undertake because of our sin. So help us, I do pray, Lord, uh, in Jesus' name, amen.